Dr. Lisa coming to you from the ill, the Edwin Elder Library. Now, uh, my podcast is um, doing book reviews, and sometimes it's just talking. Yesterday, I was just talking. But the book that we're, we are reviewing is When God Doesn't Make Sense by Dr. James Dobson. Holding on to your faith, even when God doesn't make sense, is the full title. And we are on page... 16, I believe. We were talking about Job. This is, I haven't done it for a couple days. Uh, let's pick up page 16. And uh, down there at the bottom in italics, it says, my complaint, is, my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No, he would not press charges against me. There is an upright man could present his case there. An upright man could present his case before him and I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Job 23, 2-9 Are we to assume that that this inability to find and communicate with God in certain times of personal crisis was unique to Job? No, I believe it occurs in many other cases. Perhaps to the majority of us at some point in life, Scripture tells us that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 we all go through similar experiences. King David must have felt like Job when he asked the Lord with great passion, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalms 13.1 Then in Psalm 77, David again expressed the anguish of his soul. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Verses 7 and 8 We're told in 2 Chronicles 32.31 that God left Hezekiah to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. Even Jesus asked why he had been abandoned by God in his final hours on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which ultimately illustrates the experience I am describing. I am convinced that these and other biblical examples were provided to help us understand a critically important spiritual phenomenon. Apparently, most believers are permitted to go through emotional and spiritual valleys that are designed to test the faith in the crucible of fire. Why? Because faith ranks at the top of God's system of priorities. Without it, he said, it is impossible to please him, Hebrews 11 and 6. And what is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11 and 1. This determination to believe when the proof is not provided and when the questions are not answered is central to our relationship with the Lord. He will never do anything to destroy the need for faith. In fact, He guides us through times of testings, specifically to cultivate that belief and dependence on Him, Hebrews 11, 6 and 7. You know, it's true. I'm finding that in my own struggle with the going through the grief, the times of my testing with the loss of my husband and, and some other circumstances in my life that's beyond my control. You know, some things just, um, <laughs> you think that you're in control of your life, but you're not. You're not. 
circumstances, things happen. You know, you can't control people and misunderstandings and this and that and the other. And I won't go into detail about that kind of stuff right now because I want to read some more out of this book. But um, my husband used to say, when we pray, we talk to God. When we read the Bible, God talks to us. And it's so true. We've got to read the Word and get understanding from what other people went through. You know, what we're just reading about right now. It's not uncommon. There are a lot of grieving people out there. There's a lot of hurting people for different for different reasons. Loss is real. And I think, I told my daughter Melanie, I, I think that the reason a lot of us have to deal with this kind of thing is so that we know that this world is not our home. If, the, if, if everything went according to what we wanted, people got healed, people acted like we wanted to do, people, um, people showed up when you wanted them to show up, and um, just everything, and, and us, if we did everything that other people wanted us to do, you know, they'd be hunky-dory, huh? But no, it's not like that. Sicknesses does come, circumstances come, time frame, time is a... Timing is a big thing. Everybody's schedules don't line up where everybody can be at the same place at the same time doing what everybody wants them to do. No, but we've got to be on God's time and His way, on His pottery wheel. Let me get back to this. Still, a theological answer to that nature doesn't take away the pain and frustration we experience when we journey through spiritual no man's land. And most of us don't handle our difficulties as well as Job or David. When the heat is on and confusion mounts, some believers go through a horrendous spiritual crisis. They lose God. Doubt rises up to obscure his presence, and disillusionment settles into despair. The greatest frustration is knowing that he created the entire universe by simply speaking it into existence. And he has all power and all understanding. He could rescue. He could heal. He could save. But why don't he do it? This sense of abandonment is a terrible experience for someone whose entire being is rooted in the Christian ethic. Saint Anin drops by for a little visit and whispers, He is not there. You are alone. But God doesn't care about you. You're not important to Him. What does such a person do when God makes no sense? To whom does He confess His troubling, even heretical thoughts? From whom does He seek counsel? What does He tell His family when His faith is severely shaken? Where does he go to find a new set of values and beliefs? While searching for something more reliable in which to believe, he discovers that there is no other name, no other God to whom he can turn. James 1 and 8 refers to that individual as a double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. He, of all people, is most miserable and confused. Such a person reminds me of a vine that grew behind the house Shirley and I owned in Southern California. It was an ambitious plant that had a secret plan to conquer the world. In its path was a gorgeous 150-year-old oak tree that was I was most anxious to protect. Every few months, I would look out the back window and notice that the vine had, had again attacked the tree. There it was, winding its way up the trunk and around the upper branches. If allowed to continue, the oak tree would eventually succumb to the invasion of the killer vine. The solution was really quite simple. Instead of jerking the plant off the tree, which would have damaged the bark, I made one quick cut near the bottom of the vine. Then I walked away. Though nothing appeared to have changed, the green monster had suffered a mortal blow. The next day, its leaves looked a little dull. Two or three days later, they were slightly discolored around the edges. Soon they were begin turning brown with cancerous-looking black spots near the center. Then they started falling off, eventually leaving just a dry stick extending up the trunk. 
Finally, the stick fell away and the tree stood alone. So much for the blind ambition. Is the, anal- is the analogy clear? Christians who lose God during a period of spiritual confusion are like the vine that has been cut off from its source. They are deprived of nurture and strength. They seem to cope at first, but the concealed wound is mortal. They begin to wither in the heat of the sun. They usually drop out of church and quit reading the Bible and praying. Some go off the deep end and begin doing things they would never have contemplated before. But there is no peace with me. Indeed, some of the most bitter and happy people on earth are those who have become estranged from the God they no longer understand or trust. Jesus spoke of this relationship in John 15, 5 and 6 when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you are among these people who have separated from the vine because of disillusionment or confusion, I have written with you in mind. I know you are hurting. I understand the pain that engulfed you when your child died or your husband betrayed you or your beloved wife went to be with Jesus. You could not explain the devastating earthquake or the fire or the tornado or the unseasonable rainstorm that ruins your crops. The insurance company said it was an act of God. Yes, that's what hurt the most. The examples are endless. I'm thinking of a young man I know of who was convinced the Lord would let him have the girl he desperately loved. He thought he could not live without her. The day she married another man, his faith was shaken to its foundation. I'm reminded also of the woman who called in 1991 to tell me that her 28-year-old son had killed, been killed in the Persian Gulf War. He was in a helicopter that was shot down somewhere in Iraq. He was her only son and, a, and was a born-again Christian. Only a handful of the 600,000 United Nations troops in that war failed to come home alive. Yet, this God-fearing man was one of them. My heart aches for his grieving mother. The great danger for people who have experienced this kind of tragedy is that Satan will use their pain to make them feel victimized by God. What a deadly trap that is. When a person begins to conclude that he or she is disliked or hated by the Almighty, demoralization is not far behind. For the heart-sick, bleeding soul out there today who is desperate for a word of encouragement, let me assure you that you can trust this Lord of heaven and earth. There is security and rest in the wisdom of the eternal scriptures. We will discuss those comforting passages in subsequent chapters, and I believe you will see that the Lord can be trusted even when he can't be tracked. Of this you can be certain. Jehovah, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is not pacing the corridors of heaven and confusing over the problems in your life. He hung the world in space. He can handle the burdens that have weighed you down, and He cares about you deeply. For a point of beginning, He says, Be still and know that I am God. Psalms 46.10 And that concludes chapter 1 of When God Doesn't Make Sense by James Dobson. Thank you for joining me today. And know that... God cares about you. He does care about you and all your situations. He is the author and the finisher of your faith and of my faith. We're going to get through this somehow. We're going to get through this one day at a time and knowing without a doubt we are his children. We are like the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. We're important to him. It takes all of us to complete the picture. It takes all of us together and him making a masterpiece of our life. God bless you. Let's keep pointing others to the cross. Love you. Bye-bye.